hello, Brandon. Hello, Tom. So, we've got quite a few topics here. We didn't really finish up a topic last week, but as this thing is starting, how has your weekend so far been? Uh, good. Yeah, it's been really good, actually. How about you? Mm, pretty quiet. I like a quiet weekend occasionally. Nice <laughs> thing to have. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Agreed. Uh, it's about as quiet as it's going to get around here, so... Very good. <laughs> yeah. Embrace the one quiet weekend out of the eight, I think. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So I wanted to start by thanking two listeners. Michael Antonelli and Neo Bartleby both left reviews on iTunes. Michael Antonelli left a review on iTunes about a month and a half ago, but as we haven't been recording, I haven't had a chance to shout him out. So thanks to those two folk for uh, posting on iTunes. Yeah, excellent. Thank you. So set your mind back a week ago. There was a crouched over figure in a darkened room staring at a glowing LED light in his podcasting microphone. We were talking about the movie Snowtown, and you mentioned the drab nature of Australian clothing. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was like, uh, that was, you know, I had such high, high hopes for Adelaide. And, <laughs> and then I was like, um, I was, I was set back a little bit there. I was like, oh, well, man, it's, just like over at the Webb's house. <laughs> it's, like, yes. it's like a closet exploded and then uh, everything just got put on somehow. <laughs> there are two factors here. The first is that clothing in Australia, or at least it was 20 years ago when Snowtown is based and when I last lived in Australia, was really, really expensive. In fact, I used to utilize folks that were traveling to the US to buy bits of clothing occasionally. Because clothing in Australia, at the time at least, was really expensive. And the other thing was branded clothing. There was some nonsense associated with Australian dollars. So imagine the dollar goes up, the dollar goes down. The dollar goes up, the dollar goes down. So you'd think, okay, things would get more expensive, they get less expensive. They get more expensive. No, they just kept it getting more and more expensive. And irrespective <laughs> of the direction that the dollar went, things just got more and more expensive. And clothing was one of those things. So, yeah, the drab nature of Australian clothing, very real. But just... Something I wanted to opine upon because it was a closing thing. And you've got to imagine darkened room, door flings open, wife in the doorway. We have to stop the podcast recording now. So I just wanted to finish that thought. <laughs> yeah, that was a good. I like the ending to that podcast. Yes. That was good. That was awesome. Um, you know what? I wanted to say that when you mentioned the clothing getting more expensive and you getting other people uh, from the U.S. maybe to get mm -hmm. some, I remember Art and Ted had cousins. They would come over and they were like dying to get their hands on like Levi's. Yeah. Like like Levi's was like gold. And I was like, dude, I will mail you Levi's if it's that it's hard to come by. I was like, <laughs> but yeah, they were like, oh, the, the Levi's here are like so cheap and they're awesome. And I was like, oh, man, like what's up? But. You know, that it's was a strange like, thing. It's a phenomenon yeah. which you captured perfectly. I think, yeah, it's just hard. I mean, this is why I like Snowtown as a movie. You, you may have gathered this. That it just captures an element which I don't get here, associated with a wide variety of factors which are just so uniquely Australian. And they don't exist anymore. I think Australia now is a very different country than when Snowtown was based and when I lived in Australia last. But, yeah. A film that I could opine on for many hours. But let's let's tackle some of your topics, some of your hard-hitting topics here. I wanted yeah. to talk a little <laughs> bit about fall tasty treats. Oh, yeah, let's do it. What do you think about uh, when, when you hear fall tasty treats? Mm. Well, it's interesting, actually, because a lot of these things, certainly 
my wife does various kinds of breads. They're called breads, but they're basically sweet. Uh, zucchini, pumpkin. I mean, banana bread you can have at any time of the year, but there are certain seasonal breads which are just absolutely wonderful, and they keep forever. So, you know, you can have them baked in November and you can still be snacking on them in late December quite comfortably. How many pumpkin pies have you cooked this season so far? Dude, I've cooked zero. Oh, man. I haven't. It's just, I, you know, what I was thinking today, I was like, man, I miss cooking. Like, I haven't been able to, like, cook much. I'm like, oh, I actually, I ran downstairs. I just scooped off macaroons. I just baked macaroons. And I was like, they're only going to take me like 10 minutes to make. So I I made them and I and I, I ran back downstairs to jump on the podcast. But I was like, this will this will start the fire. This will be good. good. You know, uh, but the pumpkin pie stuff is all there. I got to have it. So hopefully by the time you get this way, I'll at least have four, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you know, two a week. It should be easy. It should be maybe three a week, maybe two a week. I, yeah. I, yeah. I typically do two at a time. Mm. Oh, so. Yeah. Yeah, so then, um, and then I usually give like two away. Mm. So, you know, so hopefully by then, uh, yeah. Oh, dude, I love pumpkin pie, man. Oh, so good. And also, we have, um, you guys have those cookies. I don't even know if, if Ivan's goes that far west, but Ivan's makes these spice cookies and mm. they're in like all the supermarkets here. And it's this black and orange box. And now they do some other flavors, but, you see them every fall as sure as like candy corns hitting the shelves. Ivan spice cookies are coming out and they're sort of, I don't, they're good, but you just get used to them. And then you're like, Oh, I gotta have the Ivan's cookies. Really? I'm like, I don't know. The flavor isn't amazing, but, um, so I don't know. It, you crave it. Is it a sugar cookie base with just spiced like stuff yeah. on top? Is that basically the, Oh no, there's nothing on top. Okay. But it's, 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 it's sweet. It's gingerbready, mm-hmm. spice, all that, you know, uh, nutmeg and, mm. you know, uh, cloves are definitely mm-hmm. in there, I think. But it's good. It's a good cookie, but it's, it's hard. I mean, you'll break your teeth right out. It's just, it's like hard wafer. You can yes. wing it through a window. <laughs> there's Very nothing good. on top and it's dark brown, but they're good. So, interesting. Uh, yeah. If you got a good dental plan, I try them. Yes. My dental <laughs> plan has wavered recently. I, I lost part of it. My wife used to make these, uh, what were they? They were Jolly Rancher window cookies. Oh my oh. goodness. So basically it's a sugar cookie that's made into like a stained glass window with, you know, cross bracing and what have you. And then you break up a wide variety. That was always my job to get the hammer and the <laughs> Jolly Ranchers. And uh. you, you organize the colors of the Jolly Ranchers. You split them into however many different colors there are. And then you put different broken up crystals in the different parts or windows then you bake the cookie and you've got like a stained glass window cookie but i lost a bit of a tooth because <laughs> it's, it's like the chewy aspect because it gets kind of thin and in the cooking process the jolly rancher gets a kind of hard toffee consistency because it also kind of liaises with the side of the cookie as well like there's some interchange between the jolly rancher and the cookie anyway yeah i lost a bit of a tooth in one of those and i I don't know. It's sad because it was like one of my wife's signature cookies for this time of the year. Uh, but after the, <laughs> after the long trip to the dentist and what eventually became a crown that went on, mm, that's not a cookie that's actually returned. Although my wife does occasionally bake it for other folk. Well, that sounds pretty cool. I'd like to see that. Mm, it's pretty easy to make. I mean, it's just basically a sugar cookie with crushed up Jolly Ranchers that you put. And I mean, with your kids, this would be a perfect 
you know, this is a perfect communal thing. I mean, I'm, I'm my wife's child in this example. So <laughs> someone has to crash up the Jolly Ranchers with a hammer somehow and then present the kind of powdered Jolly Ranchers to put in the various uh, parts of the cookie. But I'll get you the recipe. Yeah, nice, nice. Excellent. You also mentioned cider. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lo- dude, I could consume so much apple cider, apple juice, mm. applesauce, uh, not red delicious. I don't really go f- – I don't like red delicious apples. But um, yeah, it's cider. Oh, man, I can just – I can drink a whole gallon of cider in one one setting, mm. you know. Um, it's so good. Do you love cider? I'm a, I'm a fan of cider. I was also talking with our mutual friend Art about mead, which is a drink <laughs> that I – Mead for me is, I don't think, well, I mean, I'm not sure what the status is in Australia, but I think, well, certainly when I was a kid, it didn't appear that you could sell mead legally. So what would happen is I would sing periodically in these kind of medieval things and I'd go to various places and perform. And they always had mead and towards probably halfway through the night, we might get fed, but we'd always get mead on the sly. So I don't know how old I was, 12, 13, 14 the kind of taste of mead and the warm, fuzzy feeling and how singing became so much easier. There's a good reason I don't drink alcohol anymore. I basically started my alcoholic uh, (laughs) very early on in life. We were once, one time we had a topic associated with, I think it was your Kmart stories and I was going to put in my lawn mowing stories. Lawn mowing (laughs) for me was just an introduction to alcoholism. But let's move on to (laughs) candy apples. Oh, yeah. Uh I don't know. I, I like candy apples. I like the caramel ones mm. with the uh, with the peanuts on them. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I don't really ever go for the the candy ones, like mm. the red shiny uh-huh. glazed. Yeah. Yep. I, I don't even know what that is. Is that just sugar? What is it? Yeah, I think it's sugar. That's, um, so you can create a hard toffee syrup stuff, which basically goes to that crystal hard very quickly. I seem to recall vinegar was involved, like a little bit of vinegar and a bunch of sugar. And then oh. it creates that kind of hard crackle, you know, as soon as you bite into it, if you're lucky, it'll crack and then kind of shatter accordingly. But my wife has made candied apples through various different kinds. I mean, there's the, as you say, there's the caramel toffee kind of consistency apple, and then you've got the hard shatter and everywhere in between. But I don't think we've, I don't think we've had them. I'm trying to think. I don't think we've had them since we've lived in California. Uh, I think they're things. Nevada was just such a, it was a such a more cooking centric time because my wife cooked professionally. So she was always making things as experiments. I was always the guinea pig on these kind of food experiments. And oh my goodness, what a tortured life I led in terms of eating these <laughs> creations. I'm not sure if you've ever had this thing, but there's a thing called a sausage roll, which is basically sausage meat, but it's usually a higher quality of sausage meat. It's not just like standard, you know, sausage. And then you wrap it in phyllo pastry. And you cook it, and it's just this sausage meat wrapped in phyllo pastry thing. No sausage skin, obviously, just the meat. And this is a delicacy through Australia and the UK. And when we got back here, my wife was in a bakery where she could take risks. And she proposed to the, you know, the owner of the store, why don't we start doing sausage rolls? And the other thing is what they call pasties, which are, again, ground beef, usually, um, sorry, not sausage meat, but ground beef in this case, usually finely cooked, uh, finely sh- uh, cut up potatoes and onions and occasionally carrot and celery. So you've got this strange kind of meat and vegetable paste thing. And they don't use filo pastry there. They use standard, I don't know what one call it, like pie crust pastry for that. Yeah, um, okay. But yeah, these kind of baked goods, which you get everywhere in the UK and Australia, 
just can't get here. But the thing in Australia is the meat pie. And that is a religion in Australia. And I've tried here. Dude, what is it? What is the meat pie? The meat pie. Oh, my goodness. So the pastry is very important. But the filling, I think, is the most important part. So it's literally um, the party pie. Let's start with the let's start with the kiddies classics. The party pie is about three inches long and maybe two inches wide, maybe an inch and a half, two inches wide. And it's in a, I don't know, like a, a cupcake-like um, metal contraption. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay. And then uh, it's got like a salt. So the meat has to be slightly gristly and about a ratio of one bit of meat to two and a half, three bits of gravy, um, just like the ratio. The gravy okay. has to be... Almost gelatinous, gelatinous. It's very strange stuff when you eat it originally. But the thing about it is that the Australia went through this phase of, oh, we got to do artisanal stuff. And the UK did a little bit more, but Australia's really extreme. So you go back to Australia and you're effectively eating a quiche in a pie because of all the additional crap that they put in. But a true <laughs> Australian meat pie, which if you went to Adelaide and if you went to a Magpies game, in fact, the Magpies, the official food of the Magpies game is uh, pea soup, like ham pea soup with oh, a meat so pie floating in it. Oh, no wonder I'm a fan. That is perfect. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. So, not mentioned in Snowtown, but actually in Adelaide proper, as opposed to the um, the outer suburbs, you will get a meat pie floater. Uh, but the thing about the meat pie is it's, <laughs> it's so iconic. When I go back to Australia, it's one of the one foods that I just have to have. I'll like sneak away. I'll sneak in a meat pie somewhere. And my wife has cottoned on to this fact because usually I spend a large quality of time with family members and they all run marathons. They're very health conscious. They're the wrong kinds of people to be eating meat pies in their presence. So I will usually find some way of just disappearing at some stage to find some bakery out of the way and have a meat pie. Just uh, you can't imagine this thing. And the ketchup that comes with it, the, the tomato sauce is called in Australia. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, that is, I think, <laughs> that's a food that's very hard to replicate over here. The sausage roll is easier because you can get the sausage meat and you can get the filo pastry. But um, it's the consistency of the pastry, but really it's the filling. And the filling has to be, I think it's made from hooves and things like that. I mean, it's so gelatinous <laughs> and so so beautiful. And occasionally you get it peppery. And in the UK and to a certain extent Australia, they go into this whole steak and kidney thing. And, you know, they start adding a bunch of additional stuff like onions. I'm a purist. Give me a simple plain meat pie. But then you have all these problems. So it can be too dry. The central filling can be too dry. It's intended to basically remove a layer of skin in your mouth. So I don't really mind if it's super hot. I typically take the top off the pie. I mean, it is a Santa Pry. It has a top on it. So I typically take the pot top off, put some sauce in there, eat the top as a, like a initial introduction to the quality of the pie, and then consume this rich, luscious gravy with kind of suspended <laughs> bits of meat in it. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to talk about through <laughs> Tasty Fall Treats is associated with rituals. And one of the things we didn't talk about last week associated with cigars, the main thing that I love about cigars, which is why I continue to do this irrespective of, you know, and it's a very occasional thing for me through the year, is the ritual associated with this. But you seem to have maintained... Like, a large portion of the stuff that you talk about is associated with certain rituals that are done with these things as well, right? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The time of year and uh, even the time of day and what you're watching and like, you know, it all kind of kind of goes together, you know, especially mm. for the fall. And I've mentioned football before with the hot peppers, you know, mm. and um, oh, I love to I love to eat a uh, pumpkin pie with with the shining on, you know, <laughs> there is nothing like that. It's like uh, either that or I like, uh, you know, the first Halloween or Sleepy Hollow mm. and uh, pumpkin pie with some vanilla ice cream or mm. um. You know, my mom makes this awesome chocolate pumpkin cake Ooh. and, uh, yeah, I don't, I've never even tried to make it. I don't even ask for the recipe. I'm just, that's, it's sort of like this thing that pops up at certain times and mm-hmm. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to ruin it. I'm just <laughs> going to eat it when it comes by this way. And, uh, yeah, dude, that thing is so good. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of rituals, especially, especially with, with each season, not so much in the, um, I guess it's more experimenting in like the spring and stuff, you know, mm. um, but like the fall through through Christmas and the holidays and, you know, that's all like, OK, uh, I guess more winter, cold and winter. Mm-hmm. I'm inside more. So I'm cooking more. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and, and that's sort of how it goes. I, I can't even tell you like what I experiment with in the or what ritual I'd have in the in the spring or in the summer, you know. Um, yeah. It's just, I guess that's how it is. I don't know. Certainly, Certainly. something with a wood a wood stove really helps too, man. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's the one thing. Our house has a chimney, but it's not. California has changed its regulations for chimneys. So when we bought this place, the our agent said, "Oh, but you won't be able to have a fire, so you need to put a gas insert." And I said, "No." I'm going to pay the thousand dollars and get a proper chimney. And then they're like, Oh no, it has to re- have this chimney resurfaced. And then my wife started talking to chimney people. So we haven't had a fire in this place. This place is designed to have a fire though. So, and we had a fire in Vegas and oh my goodness. I mean, there's nothing like, particularly in the Christmas period, that whole yeah. end of year having a fire going. And it's, it was just typically, I, I think I took a YouTube video. It's me and the cats sitting around staring at the fire looking stupid at one another and my wife's off doing something else but we're all just there kind of as mammals warming in front of the flames comfortably together so oh i know that well i know that well that's yeah that's excellent uh (laughs) i usually host thanksgiving you know Mm -hmm. and just have anyone over and Mm -hmm. um i get it i love to get it ripping hot with the wood stove Mm -hmm. and every there's just by the end of the night everyone's stuffed there's sweaters all over the place everyone's like it's so hot in here open a window (laughs) you know and the is you know it's it's better when it's cold outside for for thanksgiving Mm -hmm. but um i still light it even if it's like unseasonably warm i'm like it's getting lit man Mm -hmm. i don't (laughs) <laughs> bring a tank top so yes. yeah you had somewhere down here which i think was associated with survival the rituals of fire which we may get to this recording we may get to next recording but yeah certainly i have a few things to say about that particular topic another oh, yeah. one on your topic list was model railroading and you provided three different scenarios of model railroading <laughs> that you wanted to talk about specifically the first was with regards to the runaway train Oh yeah. Well, I'm always, you know, I always, uh, never, who, who doesn't like model railroading, you know? But when I, whenever I like think of train stuff, I'm like, man, it's, it's been done. 
you know, I think of you and then I'm like this vast world of trains. I was like, there's no point in even thinking of it. It's all been done before. <laughs> My dream of having like bookend mountains where the mm-hmm. train goes right into it and then it goes into the mountain. But then where you don't see it dips down below the platform that comes up outside another mountain, you know, and there's this oh, yeah. gap. And I'm like, oh, it's all been done before. So, <laughs> so you know, it's very Let's talk uh, about the runaway train as a phenomenon. I have a friend in Australia who has a layout with a specific part of the layout is designed not for the train to one run away, but for the coaches to cut away and to fall down like a sliding ravine. And I think it's <laughs> an amazing because it's standard model railroaders would say, okay, that's a broken bit of the layout that you have to fix, but it's been seven, eight years now and he's never fixed it. In fact, he intentionally shows it to certain guests on his layout and you need to appreciate this is a standard double garage layout, i.e. it's a double garage where the doors have just been welded shut. And it's just this huge, it's typically, I think it's um the desert region probably of California through to maybe New Mexico, maybe even Texas. doesn't really have a definition associated with it. But he has a back section layout, so you've got to imagine you've got to duck under a bunch of stuff and then you enter the center of the double garage. Well, if you go out the entryway, has this little homage to California wine country, funnily enough. And there's a little section where um, it's a steep gradient. So it's about a 3% gradient leveling off to flat, if you can imagine that in your mind. So what happens is the train goes up that, and then occasionally, one in three times, the back coaches will cut away accidentally. The uh, couplers will just unhinge at that sharp transition between the gradient and the flat. And these cars will go down, and they make it a elaborate noise it's actually quite shocking when you witness it the first time but he's never fixed that he's got no interest in fixing that that's like part of his layout so yes Um, another question oh sorry continue no i just i was curious if anyone that that answered but i just you know was like somewhere out there somebody has uh, a dead end and there's a train goes over it you know oh yeah yeah no i think probably the more layouts the the difficulty is that when i see layouts it's typically a very highbrow occasion you know tom barbara bottle rail radio is coming to visit my layout whereas actually (laughs) you need to slum it on layouts for a period of time i mean the reason i know about this layout is because this guy hosted me um he's he's actually just outside of adelaide south australia your favorite part of the world even after (laughs) and he yeah, he's just a salty earth guy. He came and stayed with me a year and a bit ago now. And yeah, I spent uh, extra time on his layout. I got to run a train and do various other things. And I actually discovered this, I think, by accident. And then, you know, we then had a function at his house after I toured a bunch of other layouts. And someone else through there running trains on his layout also discovered this thing. And I realized that this was actually a, a quiet secret that people that play with the layout for a period of time would discover. I think in general, like I say, you need to spend probably three, four hours on someone's layout to discover these little eccentricities. It's a bit like the nudie figures. Like, you'll find nudie figures occasionally on people's layouts, but you usually have to be there in a kind of two to three hour range, unless they point it out to you in, up in advance, which happens occasionally as well. Anyway, <laughs> bridge out ahead. When you talk to model railroading people, you occasionally talk to real railroaders as well. So our listener, Stephen Vaughan's father, was formerly a, a real railroader. And the real railroaders, particularly, I don't know, if they're in a particularly militant mood, which is relatively rare, but I get it occasionally on model rail radio, will talk about rail disasters and rail accidents. 
usually involve people getting cut in half. I mean, that seems to be the standard one that they all seem to like to discuss. So the bridge out ahead is part of the genre of rail accidents that are about to happen. And in general, what you see more frequently is them having little guys that are the guys that are uncoupling the, you know, various locomotives and rolling stock. And they will be put on the tracks and kind of sacrificed occasionally. I have a a fellow, actually, who flew out for model rail radio. He's on the East Coast most of the time. And he is a real railroader, and he now works in the Boston Transit Authority. I think he sells tickets now. Um, But when he worked on the freight trains, uh, he was notorious for having these circumstances uh, occur around him. And the big thing is, oh, you killed Jim Lincoln, which is the guy's name. And so now there are like dead Jim Lincolns kind of littered on people's laps. Now he's, he is, if you're going to go to a model railroading store, if you're going to go to a hobby store, Jim Lincoln is the guy to know. If you've ever had a experience with someone who holds court, he like goes into these train stores and immediately, instantly, there's a gang of maybe five, six guys just looking, hanging off this guy's every word as he tells stories. So that's him <laughs> as a character and the dead Jim Lincoln is, you know, a universal thing. I, I thought actually about producing toy soldiers for model railroads, like actually producing little figures for model railroads, and Jim Lincoln would certainly be one. The final one that you put down was associated with people tied to the tracks. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's got to be a dime a dozen, right? <laughs> Typically, there's a woman who's painted up like the layout owner's wife that is occasionally applied to the tracks. There seems to be some subtle joke in the model railroading hobby that if anyone's going to be tied to the tracks, it's going to be a wife at some point. So that is, um, yeah, that's also a not as typical, not as typical as the the yard guys that get uh, run over and certainly, but yeah, occasionally. And also, I mean, it's scene and setting, right? So if you're doing a, you know, 1890s Western themed railroad, You've got to have some damsel in distress somewhere. Yeah, but The yeah, other so. things that I love on layouts are typically eagles or bears or um, occasionally, like, campers in trouble. There are a bunch of nudie-related figures, uh, women flashing trains, a bunch of other things that you see on layouts. But my favourite tends to be associated with the wildlife. You want to have a moonshine still on a vast number of layouts, particularly anything in the kind of Virginias. And, um, yeah, just the amusement. I mean, you can put campers and bears together, but yeah, the, the main thing is just not to overdo it. So usually there will be one or two bits of visual interest on a layout where you'll just see, ah, that's an eagle, you know, about to pick up a cow or something like that. I mean, yeah. these kind of things too. Okay. But yeah, <laughs> that's the, cool. The amusing aspect on the layout is really critical. And I do occasionally go to layouts where it's really overdone. Like, literally every three inches, there's something that you're supposed to see and laugh at. And that's kind of a bit saturated. I do understand the people that do that. But, yeah, in general, on a standard, like, when you go to shows, for example, just finding these little things. And actually, many display layout owners that take their layouts to shows will have a little checklist that they'll pass to, you know, 10-year-old kids, and occasionally me, um, where you go through and you say, ah, okay, so... Find the eagle, find the bear, find the... Just adding a little kind of Wells Waldo to the layout. So, all well noted. Yeah, that's excellent. I knew, I, I figured it, it all existed, but... Uh, it's, yes. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. The model railroading hobby has, has seen many things. The one 
sectional hobby that really fascinates me is associated with the post-apocalyptic war zone railroads, which is actually one aspect of the hobby that I think you might get into or at least be interested in. Because what that... And it goes in a variety of different things, like nuclear meltdown, um, strange mutants, uh, dinosaurs. Dinosaurs on layouts are pretty well well done. You know, some kind of strange um, radioactive leak, all this kind of stuff. But there are now a variety of folks. In fact, there's a Facebook group, which is quite active, associated with people that have, like, armoured trains and... You know, there's a lot of strange stuff that you can do associated with the upcoming apocalypse and model railroading too. A footnote for the time. Huh. That's cool. More very good. Kitchen-related stuff. You wanted to talk about making pretzels. Oh yeah. Have you ever made pretzels? Just typical hard pretzels, not with with, little, not soft. Yeah. Oh. Not soft pretzels. Uh. Like pretzel rods. You uh. know, like like uh yeah. No, I, I never have. I've looked I, into it, but. Yeah. I, Soft pretzels are so rewarding, but at the same point, I think we made soft pretzels maybe only once or twice, again in Vegas, um, mainly because they're just so delicious and addictive, and you're getting like 50 times the daily limit of sodium in each one. <laughs> so yeah. It's like, hmm, I like having kidneys. I like having a liver. This probably, if I did this regularly, would... Uh... So we tried them without salt one time, and they're still good, but they're not quite the same. So, yeah, but no, never the hard pretzels. And I think the main thing with those is you need very particular kinds of force-fed ovens to get the temperature just right and the humidity off. I'm not, I know I've never tried the dry, crispy ones. No, I never tried it either. I I figured I would ask, but what about the soft pretzels? I've never tried to make those from scratch either. Pretty easy? Yeah, for you, you'll have no problem with them. Very easy. Okay. And what I think you could probably expand on is rather than just using, you know, uh, large crystal salt, be it rock salt or what have you, I think you could actually do some pretty interesting, like, different kinds of pretzels. Like, I think you could go on the spiced route. I think you could probably go on the bacon route. I think there are a variety of different ways you could actually have a lot of fun with pretzels. Anyway, to be continued, no doubt. Yeah, oh, I'm going to look into that. A topic which is an addiction of mine, charcuterie, addiction of mine my wife is now as with the one percent milk and a variety of other things my ability to get access to meats sausages salamis these kind of things it's been reduced in my diet to being almost non-existent sadly i I reflect on this actually i reflect on when we started this podcast and where we are now I went out for a steak for my birthday, a relatively small steak, and it came in a very curious thing. And I realized that I hadn't eaten red meat for far too long. But my whole palate has changed now in such a way where, I don't know, I mean, red meat is now such a rarity in my life. But there was a time, a beautiful time, a time even recently yeah. <laughs> where where I, as, as we've talked about pretty well ad nauseum early on in these recordings, I like a particular kind of dry ham which is almost mouldy and in quality, and a variety of other kinds of things that obviously, you know, all the related accoutrements. You said you didn't really get into this stuff when we talked about it a few months ago. No, uh, I had a smoker, mm. and, um, it, well, it wasn't mine. It was left mm-hmm. behind at my house. But, uh, yeah, I, hadn't, I, didn't re- I haven't really smoked much stuff, just mm. um, really just salmon. Um, we had some friends give us some um, Alaskan king salmon. Ooh, yeah. 
that was caught on a fishing trip and you know mm-hmm. and uh it was awesome but i was like man uh i don't know i don't know any recommendation recommendations on um so my uncle built a smoking hut he was so heavily into smoked foods whoa and that was serious business. well actually let me let me describe this to you so my uncle actually the one who lives near snowtown originally bought a hobby farm which had a 1860s built house and a series of outhouses and he converted one of the outhouses so this is a part of australia which gets pretty hot in the summer so the houses were almost adobe style really in terms of like a thick layer of probably clay or something like that that made them really thick so he took one of those houses one of those houses that was probably a 10 foot by 8 foot room and he made it into a dedicated smoking room and that was just amazing like we went there one time for christmas and he had two sizable lambs in there smoking like he was smoking lamb that year but when you see i mean i've thought about buying a smoker i thought actually my in-laws for a period of time could easily make smokers i mean they have all the welding stuff and this kind of thing but um when you see the way that they smoke salmon in scotland which is exactly the same thing they have dedicated smoking rooms they have these layered i don't know how how thickly layered they are but they open the doors occasionally they go in and the salmon is just dripping this yellow smoke soaked oil which is just so central to the like the flavors of the fish. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! This is a bad podcast recording. <laughs> so yeah, I would thoroughly like my view. And do you you smoke that salmon, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How many days? Yeah. Oh, not even a whole day. Just oh, like okay. eight hours. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wood of choice. Yeah, rookie stuff. I really don't know much about it, you know. Mm. But um, wood of choice. I'm sorry. What wood did you use to smoke? Um, I think it was hickory. Okay. Yeah, a friend of mine gave me wood. Yeah. So when I got into smoking when I was in Vegas, I had a variety of like apple, cherry, and I would pick wood up. Like I literally knew people that said, "Oh, we've got some extra cherry. We've got some extra hickory. Oh, not hickory. Um, what was it? Cherry, apple, and there was one other fruit wood that I had that I would smoke with." And I think the thing with, um, like, if you're smoking a brisket or something like that, you can probably yeah. get away with hickory. But if you're smoking fish or anything where you don't want, like, really heavy smoke, but you want, like, a deep smoke. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah, then you're getting into woods and these kind of things. So, yeah, I there's just not enough time on this planet. But yeah, You need I, a shop vac over there, man. I can hear the <laughs> drool. I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll hear it in post-production, yes. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I'm catching it on my lips and just uh, trying to recycle it. <laughs> Seafood loves versus hates. This was another topic of yours. Oh, dude. Okay, I'll go first. Mm. I I hate sea bass. Mm. Yeah, I don't like sea bass. Interesting. Uh, all right, Interesting. you go. So I've, I went to San Diego. <laughs> I don't know. I think we've been recording this podcast through, maybe, I don't know. I don't know when I went to San Diego. But I was out on the beach and I thought this is a perfect time to order something. And I had a really bad food poisoning experience from that. It was coupled together with work being hellish while I was on vacation, which always helps. I go through phases with seafood and I've never had a phase where I've consistently liked everything. But I think I've, cons- I've liked everything at some phase <laughs> through my seafood eating. Yeah, okay. Um, so my wife loves crab. 
like absolutely categorically loves all forms of crab. Yeah. To the point where, and I go through crab phases and certainly through some time of her eating of crab, I will join in. But yeah, it's all phase based. And I do think about this. I think there's a certain element of kind of sulfur levels and other things associated with fish. And sea bass is interesting. I'll eat sea bass raw any time of the day. And it's when it's cooked fish is a different thing to sushi for me. I don't know. I mean, I go through long periods of time where I just am completely addicted to oysters. And then for whatever reason, I'll go for months where I don't even think about oysters. It's a funny thing, seafood. But, yeah, it seems to me, as I get older, I seem to be more fickle about the seafood. And my wife, in general, eat anything seafood without even thinking about it. Whereas, like you say, I go through phases. But salmon is a phase for me. I'll eat salmon raw any kind. But some the cooked salmon, I just go through phases where I don't... I'm not particularly interested in it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Hmm. Um, I don't sea bass too. Oh, <laughs> or not sea, not sea bass. Um, swordfish. Oh, swordfish is interesting. Oh, so my can, my yeah. mother, my mother cooks swordfish. So I should probably point this out. My mother lives very close to the water in Sydney, but she has five, <laughs> I don't know, five minute walk away. Just one of these amazing fish shops, like just unbelievably. There's a fish in Australia called barramundi, and there are just so many different kinds of fish. Flake, which is shark in Australia. Most of the fish and chips you eat in Australia is shark meat, which they call flake. So much good fish. And I would never have a problem eating anything that came from that fish and chip shop, or that fish shop. It sells fish and chips on the side as well. So my mother has swordfish periodically. It's a very, I mean, it's a, it's a meat where you need to be prepared for it. The density, the slight oiliness, these kind of things. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> oh, dude. Ugh. I'm, I'm sure mackerel, then, I guess, is completely out of bounds for you. No, that's you not like as mackerel? bad. I could, I could do, I could do mackerel. Yeah. It's not the, I don't know what it is. I just don't. I'm is it like, the density? Uh, of, is it the texture of the meat? Because I think it's the density. Yeah. Texture in the meat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes scallops too. I really won't, oh, like, I yeah. won't go near scallops for the most part just because of the texture. Mm. Like, not even the taste. But if it's like a really high end scallop or something, I'm like, okay, I'll try it. And it's usually pretty good. But, mm. Yes, I look at scallops and I'm like, oh, why would you even try that? I don't even know how humans know you can eat those. I'm like, who, who tried that first, dude? It's yeah. gross. I don't know. I'm not, scallops I, were the cause of my downfall in San Diego, and I think it's going to be a few <laughs> years before I have a scallop again. It's interesting, actually, because I used to cook a lot of seafood. I mean, when I was a starving university student, I would go to the fish market on a Sunday afternoon and I would buy up whatever they were getting rid of. So through that discipline, I cooked a wide variety of different things that I would never cook normally. And now in adult life, I mean, certainly when we lived in the UK, we got mussels on a pretty regular basis. And I had a standard mussel white wine kind of stuff, which I'd cook frequently because the quality of the mussels were just untouchable. And But I don't know. I mean, tuna steak and this kind of stuff and, yeah... Seafood's an interesting one, actually, because I like it to be, once you've had super fresh, I mean, most of my oyster eating when I lived in Australia was literally when we went down to the coast when you'd get it off the boats. So it's always a freshness thing with me. If I know that it's really fresh and really good, I'm willing to take risks. If I don't really know the, I mean, this San Diego literally on the sand, food poisoning. So, yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, I've been there. 
Oh, I've had to get an IV. Uh, oh, I'm sure. I think I've told you all this before. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well noted. I'm hey, wait, speaking. You. Sorry. <laughs> so, sorry. Well, speaking of San Diego, before we move on, and you're a Vegas man as well. I know this is completely off topic, but do you have any top secret news from the West Coast that might say that the San Diego, former San Diego Chargers, who are now in LA, are headed to Las Vegas no, instead so of the Raiders? So my, I, I, only, my only observation of this has been I had to experience the Raiders <laughs> fan through the week, which was somewhat curious. Okay. I don't, well, I don't know. I honestly don't have any inside information on that. Um, but I would have thought, I didn't mention to him that I lived in Las Vegas. That was the only possible way. Yeah, that was the only possible way that that would have come up. But he was certainly like a rabid Raiders fan. In fact, he was listening to a Raiders game while I was with him. <laughs> so, but yeah, he he didn't know that I came from. I had Las Vegas heritage, so no, I don't have any news associated with that. Okay, well, I can't. All I know is stuff. that all I know <laughs> is that Vegas is so primed for whatever professional sports team that they get that you can't imagine a place. I mean, you know, the UNLV. What are they called? The Rebels. Whatever. I mean. That's well, been that, the religion in Las Vegas for so long that they're just dying for a, a real professional sports team. So. Well, they, they got uh, the Golden Knights are there, the hockey team. Yeah, man, I don't. It's not really a hockey. Awful. It's not really a hockey town. You might. It, no, I. Yeah, that's a horrible name too. Hmm. I don't know where they get these names, but yeah, okay. I just figured I'd ask. Sadly, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> I did want to talk to you about a purchase that you made last Saturday, because this is an item that you've talked about historically, that it's like you're, you want this thing, but you actually picked up Darth Vader's TIE Fighter last Saturday. If I oh, dude, I, ke- I keep looking at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's so awesome. I can't believe I got it. You know what? I'm, get- I'm, I'm addicted to these TIE Fighters now. I want to... Um... Yeah, I got to get some more TIE Fighters, even if I have to make them out of cardboard. Uh, mm. <laughs> but I always looked at the TIE Fighter as a kid, you know, the, the Darth Vader's TIE mm-hmm. Fighter from Kenner. And I don't know why. I, I mean, I never got it. And uh, even when I got older, I could have bought it. It's not, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just Darth Vader's TIE Fighter. But so I saw it in this busted old junk bin and I got it. And um, well, go ahead. Ask me what you're going to ask. I'm interested what scale it is. It's the three and three quarter inch figure scale. Ooh, yeah, it's it's the it's one. It's a nice that, size. Oh yeah, dude, it's yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's missing. The, there's two pieces. I didn't even know this. I just saw it in a bin. And was like, what do you want? You know, and let's go. And, uh, and so there's two pieces that click. The wings click into that, and then uh-huh. those click into the the center. You know, the centerpiece and and then you hit the button in the back, which I didn't even know, and the wings pop off. I forgot about that. So you can oh, fly for the crash sequences. And stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I got to get yeah. those two pieces, but I don't even care. I just am like holding that centerpiece. I'm like, look at it, dude. Ah, finally got it. Yeah, it's uh, oh, dude, it, it's so awesome. So returning to the topic of rituals, when you get a new item, do you have certain rituals or the certain play rituals? I mean, you, you mentioned that it's it's still on the shelf. But when you get it out, when you what kind of rituals do you go through when you get a new item? Dude, I usually don't even touch it or look at it for like a month. Mm. Like I'll just put it in the bag and put it away. Like I'll look at it on the way home and I won't even do anything with it for like a month. I actually bought some G.I. Joes in January and 
they're still in their eBay packages. Like just mm. a few, just a few figures. And um, my buddy came over and was like, can I open one of these? And I was like, yeah, sure. You're going to open it. I don't want to see it. Just put it back in there. And, um, sometimes I'll, wow. I'll, I'll just close my eyes and wrap it up in Christmas paper yeah. and then I'll stuff it away. So I have like a bunch of GI Joes that are wrapped from years back. I don't know who they are. Mm. And so like I'll, you know, I think I told you that before, but so basically it sits, it'll sit around and it's, it's over on my desk right now. Is it over? Yeah. Yeah. I took it out of the bag. It's over there on the desk right now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I love that thing, man. It's so cool. There's a white one and a blue one, which mm. I didn't even know. Yeah. The white one's pretty cool looking. It's like the, I don't know if it's a if it's a a, a white tie fighter just is like the snow tie fighter. I'm like, mm, all right, that'll yeah. go good with the ad at, you know, and um, yeah, I'm not too picky about it being in like perfect conditions. Uh, I kind of like it beat up, actually. So then, mm. like, you know, if the kids get it and they mess it up, I'm like, that's it's what it's like, for. Bust yeah. that thing to pieces. And then, you know, let's put some firecrackers in it, but not <laughs> Vader's tie fighter. We're not blowing that thing up. We can fly it around, but it's not getting melted. Very good. <laughs> Very <laughs> just to be good. clear, just to be clear. So when you get here, Tom, please mm-hmm. resist the urge to put Roman candles in oh, the tie Oh, oh man. <laughs> I have, actually, as you mentioned this, so I, I built some, as you know, I built some broken up cities for when my oh, friend yeah. comes over. So I have this at arm's reach, and behind the broken up cities, I'm not giving anything away here, but I spent a little bit of quality time on eBay recently to find some choice items to pass on to you. But when I was on eBay, I saw a squad level of Space Marines with a tank and, like, a commander on top of the tank. I typically look for a particular kind of painting style, like it needs to be above standard tabletop quality. And this was a steal, and it was like, buy it for this amount or make me an offer. And I made the guy an offer, which typically 70, maybe 60% of the asking price. The guy came back instantly, fine, you know, sent it on to me. Part of the ritual for me is unwrapping these things from eBay, but also there's always going to be some transitory breakage. You will never, ever have a circumstance with these models where there isn't transitory breakage. So it's like finding a tiny little detail, re-gluing it, you know, re-gluing a backpack on one of them. And then I have them set aside on a picture frame, a glass picture frame, just outside the um, realm of the dust. And it's just kind of calling for me. But my first ritual with these figures, which you'll understand because you've already received some figures from me, is buying a case for them. Oh, dude, I know it. Oh, it's a, <laughs> the case is better than the figures. I, I, it's so awesome. <laughs> Well, the case is a requirement because if they were just to be left out, for a start, the brick dust, the cement dust would eventually waft in and cover them. But also it means that they can then slot into an area. So in front of me, I have, I don't know, probably room. Well, I've got an orc army and a space marine army that I purchased, I don't know, two years ago, a year and a half. Actually, it was my birthday last year, I think, maybe, or maybe the year before. Anyway, and I bought that specifically for when my friend from Australia comes over so we could play like a proper game and they're like neatly arranged in the figure cases ready bunch of books and other stuff around them so yeah i'm gonna get a small figure case just to put together this little squad the tank oh my goodness anyway let's move on from this topic because i could digress very quickly dude i can't wait to see what you go for at the convention (laughs) i'm dying to see it i'm like my wife has said to me my wife has my wife and i have been perusing through comic book men because we'll either watch Vietnam or watch Comic Book Man. We need to be in a very particular frame of mind for Vietnam. We're nearly at the end of Vietnam, thankfully. 
but we've been watching comic book men out of face. There's also a local restaurant review show called Check Please Bay Area. If ever I was going to make a satire <laughs> skit show, these are like the snootiest possible people reviewing restaurants <laughs> in the San Francisco oh. Bay. There's all there are always like token people in there. Like there's the token person who's just like clearly cannot afford to go to the high end restaurants that they're forced to go to for the show, and they just want to get their own back. There have been certain circumstances where, so to describe the show, there are three regular Bay Area residents, which is never the case. There's always like, um, <laughs> what's the one? A wealth investment attorney. Um, you know, these professions that only exist here, like just crazy professions. Uh, a CEO for affirmative action rights. And then you'll have someone who's like an assistant kindergarten teacher. And <laughs> then they have, they're forced to go to these high end restaurants that the other two go to. And then the, There'll be a taco shack thrown in. <laughs> anyway, the, the political dynamics of the show is absolutely fascinating, and it's available in podcast form as well. Uh, anyway, so we'll either watch that or watch Vietnam or watch Comic Book Man. And my wife has cottoned on to the fact that I'm going to a toy convention with you in, you know, while she's off exploring quilt shops and Pennsylvania Dutch, I'm actually going to be a toy, at a toy convention. So she's already given me a list of things that she wants to be looking for as well. Which oh, that's awesome. In and of itself is always interesting. We have now, so the listeners of Model Rail Radio have gotten together. It's now a family and two guys that are going to be going there. I'm hoping it won't expand even more. I suspect that there may be additional people, but they're coming to the convention too to kind of meet me. Even though I'm going to be in your part of the world in a year's time, the probability of me being killed by gun violence alone is sufficiently high that you know, people are coming from all... <laughs> Parts of the uh, what do you call it? The tri- do you call it the tri- It's five states, right? There are five oh, we don't, states. Yeah, what do you I call guess they, so we we just call it the town we're going to be in at the time. <laughs> no, no, but the actual area that encompasses oh, like New Jersey and New yeah, York, tri-state, tri-state. Yeah, they call okay. they call it the tri-state, but no one says that. That's like only on TV. Alas, <laughs> the tri- and the we'll news. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get the tri-state. So anyway, yeah. so people are coming from all, anyway. My wife has given me a list of toys that she's looking for as well. Oh, dude, it's so awesome. So, yeah, I'm yes. really looking forward to this, Brandon. I'm really, really looking forward to this. I love to ask people. <laughs> you know, Skeletor's cat is a panther and it's purple. And I, oh, yeah. love, to, I love to ask the people when I see it uh, how much purple panther is. And I love when they correct me and they're like, it's just panther. Because it's not Purple Panther, but that's my little joke that I go around asking, like, how much is Purple Panther? And they're like, oh, Panther is uh, it's $25. I'm like, don't correct me now. In terms of Battle Cat, in terms of Panther, do you have multiple versions of this particular figure? Or No, I don't even have Purple <laughs> purple panther <laughs> I don't even have him. I am up every time, and I'm like, no, I don't want to get him yet. <laughs> I have uh, I have He-Man's cat, Battle Cat, but Battle I don't cat. have Purple Panther. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, Battle Cat is the one figure that may sway me. Because I had a Battle Cat back in the day, and yeah, it'd be nice to have another one again as a bookend. I understand you've got plumbing problems, Brandon. I've got internet problems. It's been a pleasure as always. <laughs> I got a bunch of topics I want to talk to you about, but it's gonna have to be for another recording. We're gonna have to keep the listeners interested. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um Yeah, let's do it next week. Most definitely. Looking forward to it. I'll talk to you then. All right. Cheers. Take care.